Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm very, very, very lucky to have the director of Cam with Horses, Nick Rowland, on the phone with me right now. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much. So I'm just going to ask you a little bit first about how you got into film yourself. So I had I got into film. Um, so I actually used to up until when I was younger, um, I used to be a, a sort of semi-professional rally driver. So I've, I was never um, a huge cinephile. I spent my teenage years in in garages and workshops, kind of trying to learn how to change clutches. And and you know, we didn't really have um, a cinema in my town or anything like that. So um, I came to it, I guess, slightly late. It, it, felt, it felt a little bit late to me um, when when my racing stopped in two thousand and. Uh, nine um i actually didn't know what to do so i <laughs> i took an online multiple choice quiz which was going to tell me what my what my future job should be and it told me to be a librarian or a filmmaker and um as i'm very dyslexic i thought well i'll give filmmaking a go um, and i went to film school they're two very very different careers and it sounds like um you have a little bit in common with the the lead in cam with horses arm if you're from a rural area and like cars that's definitely yeah like a little nudge in the direction now the socio-economic thing is probably very different but there was probably a little bit of experience to draw on yeah I mean when so I, I partly grew up on the northeast coast of Scotland in a little town called Banff um, a little fishing town so when I read um when I read uh, Colin Barrett's short story collection Young Skins I kind of felt like I'd I'd, I'd met a lot of these characters or kind of there's a sort of, you know, a lot of the young people in, in, in the town that I was growing up kind of were maybe going through similar conflicts and experiences as, as I kind of felt in this book. So I guess that's probably the initial connection I had to the material. And, you know, I found this character of Arm very fascinating because he's, you know, he lives in a very brutal world and does very brutal things and seems to really display no morals about it. But then he has such a sort of... Um, authentic and sensitive relationship with his young son and I just thought that was a really interesting duality and I I guess I was attracted to the book because there's you know it was very tense it was very you know dark in places but I also found it there was an awful lot of humanity and it. it made me laugh it made me cry and um, there was a sort of eccentricity to it which I, I really it really appealed to me definitely and that that is all in there can you give me a brief synopsis of the film so I so calm with horses. Um, it's about this. It's about this young uh, young man called Douglas Armstrong, and he's torn between his responsibilities to his um, criminal employers and his ex girlfriend and young son, who are striving for a better life. With, a, with drastic turn, <laughs> twisting turns. <laughs> Most people know to stay on the right side of the Devers family. I'm what you meet if you ever find yourself on the wrong side. People say they're trouble, the Devers. I didn't get the joke, lads. But I say all families have their problems. I don't want him to be around you because of the things that you do. Wise up, Arm. Wise up. Yeah, wise up. You were never like this before, you know that? Before them Devers got their hands in you. To go back a little bit about um, how you got into the industry. So you did your test. Librarian was out. Uh, what was your next step? Go to film school? 
call around, see if anyone needs a hand on yeah. set? Yeah, so I, I went to, first of all, I went to, um, I went to uh, Bournemouth Film School on the, on the south coast of England um, and did a, a, a BA degree. Um, and then after that, I went to um, the National Film School to do an MA in film directing. So I kind of, I did like six years of film school. I could have become a doctor or something useful, but um, I kind of, kind of spent a lot of time studying. Um, and while I was there, I made a few, um, I made three, sh- three short films. One, one was nominated for a BAFTA. The other one um, played at Sundance. And then my graduation film was nominated for a Student Academy Award. And I guess the momentum of those three shorts doing quite well led to me, um, but, you know, I, once I left the National Film School, I started directing episodic TV for the BBC for, I guess, three years. I would, I would do sort of six months of television and then I would spend six months working on Calm With Horses with, with Joe Murta, who was um, adapting it with me. So that's kind of, that. that's my journey up until um, the film got greenlit and we went into production. I originally found, you know, I found the short story in my final year of film school because I was trying to write some short films and my writing was terrible. So I thought I need to read some good, some good writing and some, some good short stories. And I came across Young Skins and Dan Emerson, who was the, um, who's the producer on the film at the time, he was an assistant at Working Title. And we'd met up a couple of times for coffee and we were trying to find a way of doing something together because he definitely he um, desperately wanted to be a film producer and I definitely wanted you wanted to direct and we were trying to find a project and he started looking into the rights for this and then I met um, my agent Connor McCahan who also runs DMC Michael Fassbender's production company and during this meeting I learned that Connor was already trying to get the rights to the same story come with horses so there was a bit of serendipity there and um, Dan joined DMC and, and we all we all decided to do it together. Wow, that that's a very kind of nice story about how things come together. They don't always, especially, you know, if, if you're working on a project, you really, really care about it. There could be a bit of development hell. So that took around four years to come to fruition, I think I read somewhere. Yeah, it was, so yeah, 2015 we started adapting it and then I think towards the end of 2017, that's when it started to look like it was going to go ahead the following year. And then we shot it in, in the summer of 2018. So can you tell me a little bit about um, working through the screenplay process? It's Joe Murtock was the writer. Yeah, so we, uh, me and Joe went to film school together. So we'd done um, a lot of our short films together and um it was really nice to sort of make that progression into developing a feature script. And, you know, we had great support from film four who developed and financed um, the movie. And um, it was, a, I guess it was a learning curve and you kind of go down some blind um, alleyways and you, you make mistakes. And um, it was nice to be able to sort of draw on a lot of experienced people that, could, that, that were really supportive. Um, but not only, you know, it was it was great working with a writer that I'm also best friends with. But you know, Joe's whole family's from Mayo, and um, um, his his natural writing sensibility kind of really complements Colin's writing in any case. So it kind of yeah, a lot, it felt like a lot of elements just felt very naturally suited to each other. So everything kind of clicked together on this one. 
luckily. Were you always planning on setting it in Ireland? Was there ever a time when you thought, you know, this speaks to me, we could shoot it in the UK? Or was it just the way it turned out? With Colin's writing, the sense of place is so strong. And I know it's a, a cliche to say, oh, you know, the location is a character in itself. But it really is with Colin's writing. And it felt so specific to the West. I was hell-bent on sort of making sure that we were able to film out there. I mean, we recceed over the whole of Ireland um, and it just, you know, it just felt right. And thank, we had some support from the RAP Fund, um, which enabled us to sort of shoot out in the West. And um, I think it really gives a, a distinctive tone to um, to the whole film, you know. And um, that was, uh, that was I think, that was really important to all of us. And the script process, so you were saying that did take quite a while. Was it many drafts or was it taking time to reimagine things? What was the process what was the lengthy part of that process? I think one of the, the, the main challenges with with adapting it, I think Arm, if you look at the character of Arm in the book, he maybe has a little bit less agency. He's kind of, he's, it's not as clear. There's nothing driving him maybe as much as in the, in the film. So, and the, 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 the short story is focused almost entirely on, on the crime aspect of this uh, story from a from a plot point of view and you'd get these little vignettes of him with his son or him with his ex-partner Ursula but they weren't really connected to the story it took us a while to to figure out that actually we needed to to sort of draw some more heart out of the story and to give um while staying true to him as a character give him something give him a motor that can incite some change in him and, and allow him more space to grow throughout the narrative and Ursula and Jack felt like the key to that so kind of really bringing more of a love story out of that element and sort of expanding the character of Ursula was was uh, I guess the main key for us but also a lot of the you know in Colin's writing a lot of the poetry is in the prose and the, you know the sensitivity is the way he describes these characters and the way he observes this world and obviously in cinematic language, that's kind of a lot harder to convey. So kind of finding ways to kind of create the tone that we felt when reading the story, um, you know, was, um, you know, took a balance. And actually it, it came to the point we realised a lot of it would come through things like sound design and music and um, and uh, the cinematography as, as a way of kind of creating that, that feeling. One of the other things I thought that really added to um, the film was the dialogue was very good it was very natural and, and flowy and created a sense of space and time and um, there was one conversation I think that particularly stood out for me is something that would just feels like it it would happen you know in a lot of films certain things come across as quite almost like staged or, or you know like a plot a plot device almost but there was just one nice kind of throwaway conversation with Barry Keoghan and uh, an, an erroneous character at a, a house party where they were just talking about uh, escaping to Mexico. Yeah. It was just a yeah. lovely com- comical beat, but it was it was a very <laughs> natural yeah. conversation that just felt like it could happen in a, yeah. in a house like yeah. that. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, we loved the short story because it did have this kind of, um, you know, there's so much character packed into what is quite a dark story and it does make you laugh as much as it makes you fear these characters and cry for them. And um, that was, a, I mean, 
you know, quite frankly, in terms of my work as a director, I didn't, I didn't have to do much there because, you know, Joe wrote in a fantastic scene and like I say, smuggled in really important story beats and exposition into a really funny, uh, funny scene. And then, you know, Ryan uh, McParland and, and Barry Cohen, you know, they're just so hilarious together. It was just, you know, they just absolutely nailed it. So I can't take much credit for that scene, but it's, 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 um, it's one of my favorites. This is the director you're allowed to take credit for it. That's the whole point. <laughs> and then if anything goes um, wrong, blame the producer. That's the yeah. <laughs> that's why the go um, But no, it's and it's it's you know our cast. You know, I think our leads are are, are so talented. Um, but the whole ensemble, I, I don't think there's a weak link in there, and I think that that's amazing. Because you know, for example, Ryan's character Needles. You know, he's only in for a couple of scenes, but um, he absolutely. He's a very mem- memorable part of that film still, and um, you know, I-, I guess I was very aware that I'm I'm not from Ireland, and this is a very Irish story, and I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. So, um, you know, we tried to be as authentic as possible uh, in every way, especially with Cosmo as well. His accent, he put so much work into into getting that perfect to the point where most of the cast and crew actually didn't realize he was English until we wrapped and suddenly he went back to his Devon accent for the first time in two or three months. So uh, he put in so much work. That's the stringer bell effect where people are very, very surprised. (laughs) Like, what is this? (laughs) Uh, No, is this he, I must say though, he does a fantastic job. There's the potential for a lot of these characters that are on screen. They do a lot of very unlikable things in a very tough world um but i do think cosmo jarvis and barry keoghan and yourself find the humanity and warmth in characters and in those moments because i think without those it would actually be a very unwatchable film but you are Mm. really on side and i think especially barry keoghan's character um it has the potential to be a really unlikable character (laughs) because he's essentially manipulating this kind of simpler more naive uh other other character but there's you know within him there's a lot of empathy and there's a lot of of nuance and that's a, it's a, it's a very hard thing to get across yeah it, it's um i mean that's that's why it was so key for us to get such an amazing cast like we did um and i do think i think all the actors connected with the material for that same reason though you read you read colin's writing and there is so much humanity and life and um empathy you have towards these people that you shouldn't really and I guess it was kind of interesting when we were initially when we started sharing the short story around or or the script and we sort of said this is what this is what we want to do I guess some people could read you know I think if you were to read as a kind of alpha male sort of traditional gangster character then I can understand why it would be a real turnoff and 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 that's what Cosmo did that was so brilliant is he found the kind of humanity and, and vulnerability of arm and keeps you with you know you stay with him all the way through the film uh, even though he's not he's not saying that much and sometimes you know when he's acting as a sidekick he's not even doing that much you know he's he's it's all just through these very small micro movements and expressions in his face and his his body language and um, it's really quite amazing what he pulled off um, one thing that I think that your film does very differently to other films in that genre and other um, TV shows in, in that same kind of gangster world is it shows the internal and external cost 
to the world and the toxic masculinity and the bravado quite early on, which is is very interesting. We try and set the film up as, um, you know, I get you know you make a deal with the audience, and and there's a certain degree of the genre that you you expect when you go and see a crime movie, and we try and set up that that crime movie. But I guess for me, the stories are much more emotional. It's almost more of a family drama to me. I mean, it has it has the it has the the tension and the car chases and the all the all the thrills you'd expect from from a traditional crime film. But for me, the thing that as a filmmaker, what attracted me to the story was the heart of it and the the emotion of it and trying to set up this unsavory brute, but to try and get people to cry for him at the end um, was what I found so exciting. That kind of the, the balance of brutality and violence and softness and, and kind of melancholy, I guess. Again, because it's such a hard thing to strike up and because the chemistry between the actors is so important on a, on a film like this, what sort of workshopping or prep would you have done with the individual actors beforehand and maybe together for rehearsal? Uh, I mean, you know, we were um, a low-budget film, so you're limited as to how much um, how much you can do. Uh, I think we, in terms of, I mean, I think we had like three or four days of rehearsals where we were able to kind of block out a few of the more complicated, longer scenes. Um, but a lot of it was done, you know, it was more important to kind of set up the relationships um, rather than necessarily rehearse the actual the scenes themselves, but kind of build up a history of these characters. So, um, you know, between Barry and Cosmo spending time with each other, we would block out kind of um, improvised scenes or situations or just kind of getting a sense of how these guys behave around each other to... Um, and also with uh, with Neve Valgar, who's just so incredible, um, and the way Cosmo and Neve worked together was in, was really special. And they would, you know, we tried to spend as much time as possible getting the two of them to spend time with Killian, who was playing Jack, their son in the movie. Again, it wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing any acting, but it would be you know playing football together or going out on day trips or all these things to try and build up a level of comfort around each other because especially with Jack's character obviously um you know some fairly there are some fairly intense emotional scenes in that film and it was important that he felt incredibly safe around Cosmo and Eve by the point of filming them you know and in terms of with Jack the whole casting process we saw hundreds of kids for the role and that was kind of a trial and error to sort of work out how to build that performance of that character so and with Cosmo I mean he's he's a method actor essentially and he came out to Ireland months before anyone else and he lived in Lopray and just spent time with the local community and, and, and basically became arm for several months and like I say it was only when we finished filming that I saw Cosmo again and I was like oh I haven't seen you for months I kind of I'd almost forgotten who Cosmo was because I'd spent so much time with with arm on set I'm not sure if that answers your question but that's a bit of a waffly answer for you <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect um, I was going to say as well with Jack A, very, very, like he's an incredibly young actor or he just looks incredibly, incredibly young. I don't know if he's like in his mid-30s and plays five no, very no, no. well, yeah. Um, yeah. but he, he just delivers an incredible performance. And and you really like there's there's one scene in the the fairground where I'm just like you'd have every filmmaker gone who's his agent. Where did you find him? Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, he was five, I think, at the, or maybe he turned six halfway through the film. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, very young. There was obviously we were warned, you know, if you cast someone that young, it really restricts you on a production level because you know children can't be on set uh, for very long, and especially when they're at that age, it reduces your shooting hours with them. But you know, he was he. Firstly, the story would only make sense with a boy of that age, and secondly, you know. He's just, you know, he was. He's not. He's not a trained actor. He was. A, he was a local, um, just a local boy. I think he's. He's now got a taste for it, which I'm really happy about because he's so good. So hopefully we'll be seeing him in lots of other things. But he's just. He was very intelligent and very emotionally intelligent beyond his years, and that made made directing him very, very easy. Actually, I was very worried. You know, before before we went into filming. If you'd asked me the thing that I was most unsure about or nervous of, it was finding the right Jack and, and making sure that that performance was authentic, as opposed to the car chases or any of the other things that's very easy to worry about. But I was very, I really appreciated um, Elements' help um, with this. You know, they they put me in touch with Lenny Abramson, and um, obviously he did such a good job with Jacob Tremblay and uh, in Room. So he was able to sort of sit down with me and, and give me some advice and pointers on kind of creating these these performances with young actors and what would be the highlights of that, of that conversation for anyone listening because it's again excellent i think um it's about uh, you know i learned very fast through speaking with lenny but then also just being on set that when you're working with someone that young you can never expect them to necessarily sustain a whole scene so you have to design your coverage in a way where you can sort of focus on moments and little beats that you sort of cut into the film and it's really not about in a way it's not it's not too different to any other actor it's about not over intellectualizing things and making giving very easy and very simple playable notes with with Killian it often became a a game of can you do this um how many things can you do at once and yeah we never we never intellectually discussed anything um and he was he was very, you know, I remember on the first day we we started on, um, it was like a seven page scene or something like that. It's like a, uh, one of the, I think it's the, the introduction to the family. And we shot like the wide shot once. And uh, Killian said, oh, okay, well, uh, am I done now? Can I go home? And I had to sort of explain to him that we're going to do maybe two or three more takes. And then we did that. And then he said, okay, now can I go home? I want to go play football. And then I had to explain to him, no, now we need to do a close-up and now we have to move, wait for the lights to move. And uh, he was sort of, um, you know, the, the whole the whole thing kind of confused him. But by the end of the day, he'd already figured out uh, continuity. And he came up to me and said, I know I've been moving off the couch when Cosmo says this line, but I'm wondering if maybe I should delay this time so it will work better for, for when he gets to his second position. I thought, oh, okay, well, we're going to be fine. This kid's really, really smart. I think I'll talk about learning on the job. And yeah. a big shout out as well to Nivagar and Hazel Dupe. I mean, yeah. Stellar performances. Hazel's part was quite small in it, but she always just packs a punch. I just have seen her in, in a short and float like a butterfly. So now she's just popping up in, in this. She's just phenomenal. And Neve, again, with the female character in a role like this, it, it would be very easy for them not to have any agency and 
either be a, a pushover or just a, a plot device but you get her fully realized world her goals her dreams her thoughts her reasoning again for interacting with a, a character that is probably not the most desirable <laughs> or like the nicest <laughs> in in on paper yeah. but you really just are with her the whole way so how did you develop her character and work with her on this um yeah i mean neve you know neve is such a star and you know she's gonna take over the world or she basically is taking over the world um quite rightly she's so um so talented and she brought a huge amount of sort of strength and integrity to ursula but she also brought a lot of empathy in the way that she the way that she understands arm and she understands the arm that existed before the devas kind of molded him into what they needed and that's the thing that really struck me with Neve is that I really felt the history of their relationship in every every moment that they're on screen together I really felt that there was this past life that she was accessing and that she was hoping that she was sort of clinging on to in some way and that I found that incredibly moving and you know in the in the in the original uh, short story yeah Ursula is a much smaller character and um, we decided to sort of amalgamate two characters and build Ursula into the real heartbeat of the movie and the emotional driving force of the movie and like you know as you say it, and it, when the difficulty is 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 to to make sure she feels authentic and real and not just um as you say a device to kind of guide the the protagonist and i uh, i feel like we 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 worked hard to avoid that in the script but i think a lot of that work was really done by neve's performance you know i the thing that always struck me obviously it's a very it's quite a male heavy film but when we when i remember talking with colin barrett when um we were originally asking to option the story and one thing that he said really stuck in my mind which is that it's you know it the world of calm with horses is sort of overrun with these big male children but it's only the women characters that really speak any any sense well i would say it's if you look at all the characters the person who drives the story the person with the most agency within her own realm is neve is uh, ursula so it's at the end of the day like even even barry who you know, is is kind of the strongest of the, the the duo there. Is still kind of beholden to a certain stringent set of rules. When it's Neve who's going, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. Will I get it? I'm doing my best. You know, like, and it's. I think it's refreshing to see this in this type of film because I think uh, going in to watch a film looking at you know gangster things set in the West, young men disenfranchised, you expect a certain type of female character. And I think that's one thing yeah. this film does not deliver. It, it definitely over delivers um, with that. Uh, yeah, Ursula definitely, uh, Ursula doesn't need saving in a way. She's she's doing her best to, to help Arm. Um, and it was, it was yeah, as, as you say, it was it was important to, to make sure she retained her own agency. And, um, she forges her own path in, in the film, no matter what. Yeah, and like that, but yet... She has empathy for him, helps him, but is not necessarily a pushover to his whims either, which I think is very, no. it's very good. And in some ways, she's a crowbar into his humanity, which is excellent. Look, let me tell you, Jack, tomorrow. I take him home there. Just him and me, no, 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 no nonsense, right? 
don't know. I don't think you could cope. It's not that simple. Well, let me show you. Jack loves it here, don't you? He still loves it here. Let me show you what I can... I can take care of him. Try, nurse. Won't be like last time. What would you do? I would find some sort of trouble to get into. Won't we, Jack? That's what I'm afraid of. All right, fine. Would you just, just keep an eye on him, will you? And be patient. Yeah, I will do. <laughs> you remind me of yourself sometimes, you know that? I miss you. God. You know all this stuff with the Debris, right? That's not you. Heard that a lot lately. The timing of this film is very interesting. I was trying to date it when I was watching it. And like ridges ah. are a good way, and then, and then I was looking at bones, and then the, the the euros came in. I was just wondering when is this set? So, um, well, I guess the it's the short story sort of. It's I guess it's like a early mid noughties is when it's set. But in term, we we kind of intentionally wanted it to feel quite timeless and almost give the story a fable like quality. We tried to we tried to kind of create a a world that had slightly been left behind or forgotten so a lot of the a lot of the production design had a lot of inspiration from the 70s to the 90s we had a lot of the a lot of the costumes were slightly inspired slightly by sort of the punk scene and eastern european um, fashion and uh, we tried to sort of mix everything up a little bit just so it didn't feel too much like a sort of social realism piece um, and again that's where also the landscapes really helped you know the the kind of Connemara mountains and the the ocean and trying to almost create a, a make it feel like a frontier town in the western I guess rather than it being there's a version of the story that could have been more kind of council estates and you know we we didn't want it we wanted it to feel slightly once upon a time kind of vibes I guess but also kind of like what I really like, wanted to treat it like an urban movie, but set in rural Ireland rather than um, that. And that kind of combination of the two, I thought was kind of uh, quite cool. It was. And you definitely got that feel, actually. That was something because I was watching it. And I was like, is that Limerick? <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, is that Limerick? And then I was like, oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> so you definitely got that good thing. And do you know what? It does stop you from associating it as a viewer with one thing and going this mm. is this person's story or this is about the gangs in Limerick which I have X amount of knowledge of and it brings that background knowledge to it which almost kind of colours the the prep where you're like oh it's love hate but set in Limerick which it is not at all but so I, I that that makes I'm just interested in, in that from my own point of view but it definitely kind of created a beautiful set of visuals for the film and can you tell me a little bit about how you achieved that so I think Damien Cray great surname was the production yes. designer <laughs> yes yes yeah and then um, yeah and then Piers McGrail was the cinematographer and then obviously Sharon Long uh, 
you know her her costumes also you know really really fantastic and i guess i guess the brief for for all of us we, we you know we are trying to create almost like a an exaggerated ordinary in a way so you know rather than the boys you know i'd speak i'd i'd ring colin up and i'd ask him questions about well, what you know how do you see dimpner and um what do they wear and what do they listen to and you know m- maybe in real life they they'd be in tracksuits or something like that but we just we wanted the film i guess it's that balance of wanting the f- we really wanted the film to feel authentic and and for it to feel very irish but to not be too focused on realism to kind of create more of an iconic look to the boys and um you know with you know Barry with his sort of dyed hair and his sort of matching sheepskin collar on his leather jacket and just trying to trying to make things visually memorable as much as possible and Piers did such a great job in creating the kind of like a moody just there's like a, a textured sort of foreboding tone to to his images that he with this film and we were very lucky in terms of the light you know we everyone was warning us that the trouble with shooting in the west of Ireland is that the weather changes every every five minutes and you get all seasons in an hour and especially but, the west um, yeah Ridley Scott said we have nice weather though <laughs> well yeah I had we had a great time we actually had a it was a heat wave uh, in when we were filming so we had really glorious um, light and uh, amazing locations and and you know the, for example there's a scene which takes place on a pair of abandoned train carriages that we just sort of we were just sort of randomly drove past and they it just felt so so part of the story and so it's felt so woven in with this idea of these people that you know are kind of stuck in this place so you know I think that scene was originally written to be in a living room or a bedroom or something but we're always looking for a way to just make the scenes feel a bit more visually um, expressive I guess. Um, How did you put together the the feel and palette with uh, Piers the cinematography how did you get that down for this? We started by looking at references of other movies and and, um, photographers and you know between Piers and with Damien and we had really extensive mood boards. Um, so we had a really clear idea of the, the world we were trying to create, really. And one that's dark, but also allows for um, humour and eccentricity. And, you know, we did, we wrecked the whole of Ireland before we settled on the West. And did, did the rap fund Spandula sweeten that deal? Or were you planning on shooting anywhere? The thing with Ireland is you, Anywhere you look, you, there's a there's a breathtaking vista or something. So we we looked over the whole of Ireland, and you could have made the film anywhere. But to me, it was always really important to be authentic to the story and to shoot it in the West because that's such a big part of what Colin's writing, what 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 his writing's about, and it and it informs the, you know the characters. It it feels it feels so specific. So I was always fairly certain that it was just it wasn't clear if we were going to be able to do it from a practical point of view and that's where the rap fund really you know were made you know it was a great stroke of luck that that fund now exists and I think um it's really had such a huge impact on the way the film looks I just want to talk a little bit about post did the structure of the story change in any way when you were editing or is it more or less as written it's um you know, it's it was quite it was um it was a tricky edit, and it's in many ways, Calm with Horses is quite a, you know, it's quite a traditional story, um, 
but it was actually sort of deceptively hard to you've a lot of threads though that's the thing about watching yeah. it. there was a lot of beats yeah. there was there was his home life his family life and then there was the separate politics of the um the gang and the the thing there so it was a lot of threads to cover yeah it was um a lot of threads and also what made it difficult was the sort of the, the contrast of different tones as well you know you have you have tense violent crime thriller um you have emotional family drama and then you have kind of eccentric black humor and uh, sort of offbeat humor um, in it as well so trying to get <laughs> all those beats and all those sort of tones to feel like one thing i guess just took a, a, a delicate touch you know rather than it feeling too much like oil and water and feeling like you're kind of being thrown into different different genres or different stories um you know it, it was that was probably the biggest challenge in the edit but it also kind of was this the biggest challenge of shooting as well finding a, a language to the story that would be able to accommodate all those different elements aside from you know also having car chases and animals and kids and all the all the rest of it yeah you didn't do you didn't make things easy for yourself no no <laughs> um so the sound was um again it was an interesting mix because it, it kind of it meshed with the visuals but was very different how did you kind of create that mood um with uh, the composer is uh ben power yeah. uh blank mass um so yeah so i felt like i felt in terms of when it came to the music we already had a very strong sense of place by you know, through the through the actors and through the locations and the design of the film, I felt it, the, the the story had a very very strong sense of place. So that I didn't feel like the music had to particularly elevate us. Um, yeah, to s speak to that. So it kind of it enabled us to to look for a sound that was purely, as far as I was concerned, it was purely focused on finding the kind of poetic melancholic tone that I felt you know that I felt when I was reading the story and, and to try and translate some of the tone that was in the book through Colin's writing and it was really interesting it was a very very interesting um, process really because Ben the composer and Mattis Ray the sound designer work very closely with each other and I guess it stems from firstly we shot the film mostly in a single point of view through arm so every scene we're kind of locked into the world and the scenes as arm experiences them and um, we only usually have as much information as arm does um, so the more subjective the way it's shot and the way the scenes are constructed it means that with the sound design you can you can be much more expressionistic and much more subjective in the way you show the world and you know for example there's a scene in the nightclub where Mattis and Ben worked really closely with each other to, you know, we through the sound design, we sort of dip into Arm's head as he's in this club. And Ben wrote, a, you know, there's a there's a piece of music that's playing, you know, it's diegetic music playing in the actual nightclub. But it, it also does the work of score and it and the, the, the track mirrors um, Arm's emotions through the scene and it sort of tracks Arm emotionally through the scene. So that kind of blending of sound design and score i found you know we found a lot of we had a lot of fun doing that and, and the music was such an important part of articulating arms in a world especially as he doesn't 
often he's not saying much or often he's trying to hide how he feels or he doesn't know how he feels. Um, so that's where, you know, the music came in and we would, we worked a lot on generating themes for different characters or for different thematic moments that sort of echo into other parts of the story and things like that. So we, we really wanted the, the sound design and the score to sort of stand out and be memorable rather than something that sort of sits in the background. And so it was a lot of fun. Holder was a violent child. I can hurt people. Brilliant, thank you so much. We had so much insight into that film. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for telling us. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, chatting. Thank you.